Hello, and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. We trust you'll benefit from our unique lineup of CEOs, generals, and leaders from all business sectors. Whether you're an aspiring, inspiring leader or a seasoned leader seeking further motivation, this podcast provides you with practical life tips, sound wisdom, and world-class leadership advice. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership Podcast. And it's a great pleasure to uh, introduce Leah Tedrow. Um, we met uh, in the Ride for Unity. She is a remarkable lady. She gave so much value to the Ride to Unity. Her, her day job is the Managing Director of Evoke, which is a very successful business, which is international global PR, strategic communications. And uh, she has a group of media specialists. And she brought in the gang, the team, like Phil and Laura and others uh, to do all the videos and the PR and the social media. We had such fun. Uh, you know, this whole podcast is about inspiring leadership. This lady is inspiring. Not only is she inspiring, but the people she surrounds herself with, they stay and they work with her for a long time. And that kind of trust and respect is hard to achieve, but is very possible. So without further ado, welcome. Lovely to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. And uh, it was amazing getting to know you and, and your wife, Lee, on the ride for Unity. And we all just had such an amazing time. And it was just uh, extraordinary. Everybody that was on the ride, we all just, you know, sort of bonded and clicked and just had a lot of laughs and, you know, and a lot of pain, but laughter through <laughs> which made it a lot easier, uh, you know, when, you know, we were all just like dying. <laughs> And then, you know, people would crack jokes and, you know, and, and support each other and encourage each other. And it was just really, it was a beautiful thing to see, um, you know, how everyone just kind of came together. And we, you know, I hate using the term like, you know, became a family because I think it's such an overused and misused sort of term, but we really did. And it was, it was really sad saying goodbye to everyone, you know, on that last day in Abu Dhabi and, you know, and, and there was a lot of tears and a lot of happy tears, I think, as well. But it was, um, I think it was just an extraordinary experience for all of us that were involved. And it was, you know, so much more, it was just more than we expected and more, and we achieved so much more than we thought was possible on this, on this first ride, our inaugural tour out on UAE uh, for the seven day, seven Emirates in the UAE. And it was just, I think there were so many incredible moments throughout throughout the ride. So it was it was it was brilliant. You know, from you know the after hours antics to <laughs> to the actual ride itself, it was great. Uh, was uh, remarkable. And and you were one of the key architects, uh, along with Daniel and and Sarah and various other people, uh, including the Absolute Adventure, who who made it happen. Um, to tell people who are listening, you know, what, what is this thing, Ride for Unity, Seven Days, Seven Emirates? Just give us a bit of a flavor. Yeah. So I think about nine months ago, Daniel Bernard came to me and he said, look, I have this vision. I have this amazing idea. I want to ride seven, seven all through all seven Emirates in seven days. And I want this to be a message of unity, diversity, inclusion, and sustainability. I want to stop at schools, and I don't want it just to be another cycle ride. I want us to really create an impact everywhere we go and really engage with the community. And I said, 100%, I'm on board. Let's do this. And then so, um, and then after that, he um, asked Sarah to join the team. And so the three of us then kind of became the, the founders for Ride for Unity and, and really kind of then developed out, you know, the idea and the plan behind everything. Um, and, you know, we just said, you know, what, how can we one highlight, you know, every single Emirate and really, you know, let every Emirate shine. Um, and I think the reason we chose the UAE as the first inaugural tour and, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, the home for Ride for Unity was because you have over 200 nationalities that are living here on a daily basis in complete harmony. Um, you know, you've got a vast amount of cultures, you have a vast amount of religions and political views, and everybody sort of just gets along and gets on. And it, it has become such a, a role model. I mean, for the 50th anniversary for the UAE, they're, they're 
the theme for the year was tolerance and, you know, and they live and breathe that every single day. So this was, you know, it was the natural sort of fit for us and, and the message we were sending because the nation itself lives and breathes those values in every single thing that they do. So it was just, you know, let's cycle and, you know, let's go on the power of our steam and, you know, um, you know, make it a bit of a challenge for everybody and, you know, and really promote, promote, you know, sports diplomacy because sports is such a unifying vehicle and has been, you know, geopolitically through the years, you know, um, and it has been, you know, for in communities of really bringing communities together. So, it was that vehicle of cycling and, you know, sports diplomacy that we could really bring that message home that has relatability and commonality with everyone. So there were a lot of different reasons for that, um, of why we built it the way that we did. And then we looked at every emirate and said, you know, what really shines in each of these emirates? And then how can we, you know, include that in the ride? And which is why when we stopped and started our ride in Fujairah, we stopped at Coral Life and, um, you know, really found out about the conservation efforts that they're doing and rebuilding coral reefs in Fujairah and, um, you know, and in the areas and the other emirates that they're doing that in. And it was hugely informative for us and our riders to see the efforts that they're doing, um, you know, but it was the unexpected moments of community support that we received as well. Like, you know, three kilometers out from arriving at Coral Life, we had the Enigmas Motorcycle Club, the Emirates Motorcycle Club come and join us and lead us in with their 20 Harleys you know, into, into, into Coral Life, which was a massive surprise for the riders, which we kept it that way. Um, and it was just, you know, it was just one of those awesome things, um, you know, that happened as community support. And they just said, you know, thank you for doing this. And, you know, it was that kind of engagement that was just really priceless, you know, on this, on this journey. And then we cycled then uh, from there into um, Taoyin and, and uh, spent the night out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> in the middle of Bajera. And then, um, the next day we were in Ras Al Khaimah and cycled through there. Um, and, you know, it was really incredible to see the Rack police come out and the amazing support that they offered us. You know, they came and got us at the border and they had like 20 cars and we had six motor, uh, you know, six strong motorcade blocking all the traffic for us and keeping us safe. And we were in the American University in Rack and having a business leadership you know, forum there to really talk to the business school in AURAC and the business leaders of Russell Keimer and the developments and the things that they're doing and the importance of diversity in 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 your building your teams in entrepreneurship, um, you know, and the why it's so important in business and how that you know really can help with your productivity and ROI. So we wanted practical, you know, sort of forums to come out of this as well. And we had so many amazing business leaders such as yourself and Lee you know, and Jimmy and and they were sitting on the panel with us discussing that, you know, and, and gleaning and passing forward their own knowledge and experience, you know, to the young entrepreneurs in the university and business leaders that, you know, are in the community. Um, and then, you know, the next day in Wellspring School, which was, I think, for me, one of the highlights of our ride, um, you know, we spent the morning there with them, talking to all the kids and, you know, we had such a wide gambit of, of kids from, you know, kindergarten all the way up to seniors in high school to, to 18 year olds and, you know, rotating them around all the different stations that we had and just the level of engagement and our riders just came to life. It was extraordinary. You know, we had Marwan, who was our, you know, uh, AGMC BMW sponsor, who's doing headstands with the kids and, you know, Herb was, you know, showing them, you know, all about the basketball tricks as a, a former um, Harlem Globetrotter and, you know, Jessica reading stories to the kids, uh, you know, with her, you know, with her book about a one-armed swimmer because she's, you know, she is a Paralympian, an Australian Paralympian swimmer. You know, Justin showing the kids the hand cycles and Carlo giving all the kids rides on his, his trike, you know, there with his oxygen tank. I mean, it was just it was extraordinary. You know, it was, it was an amazing experience and really teaching the kids about nutrition as well and innovation in sports and had them on the kicker machines for the, you know, the football area. And, you know, the kids were, I remember I walked out and they were, there was a whole bunch of kids outside the BMW, our safety cars. Um, you know, they had the radio turned up and they were all dancing, you know, out in the parking lot with the safety cars. And it was just, it was, it was an incredible day. Um, you know, and, you know, Daniel, running around on his bike we're trying to leave and he's you know you know high-fiving all the kids and we're like daniel we're leaving get in the peloton you know it's just swept up by the excitement of you know just the kids enthusiasm you know and 
there's knock on effects from that too. You know, I believe that Wellsprings now is getting with Coral Life to teach the kids about the conservation efforts they're doing. They're now trying to do walk bikes for some of the kids. And, you know, I think they're talking about, you know, extending the hours of their basketball courts for local, local kids. So it's amazing to see that kind of impact. And then, you know, we left there, we had public riders join us, and then we cycled to Umaquain and planted mangroves, which was, you know, an extraordinary experience for us to be able to do that as, you know, hitting another one of our sustainability pillars. And, um, you know, from there, we then cycled into Ashman and then, you know, had that extraordinary morning at the National Charity School of Ashman. And, we donated two football goals and two basketball hoops um, for them. And, you know, again, just engaging with the kids all morning and, you know, just extraordinary. I mean, you know, the expression on the kids' face is something I think I'll never forget, you know, especially when you know, Herb was there and spinning the basketball and putting the basketball on, you know, one of these kids' faces and their face was just like lighting up and, you know, like it was the most amazing thing that I've experienced. And, you know, I think it was moments like that that really just, you know, were very emotional, I think, on that. And then, you know, from there we were, uh, you know, we cycled from um, Ajman and Sharjah, you know, um, and into Sharjah into the House of Wisdom. Um, and then we're, um, from there we're at the American University in Dubai, where we again had another extraordinary um, panel of people. We had Lindsay Usher, who's working for you know, the, uh, to develop out the women's uh, pro teams. Um, and she's working with ADQ um, to really promote cycling amongst, you know, the, the, the women here in the Emirates as well, and just doing extraordinary things with the, the UA pro team. Um, we had the consul general for the U.S. consulate in Dubai, Megan Gregonis there, you know, speaking about sports diplomacy and just a number of other extraordinary, you know, panelists that were sitting there for um, the American University of Dubai and then had our very chilly night camping out in Platinum Heritage, which is like a good bonding experience and people out on camels and doing all manner of things and, you know, chatting fireside, you know, under this beautiful blanket of stars in the middle of the desert. Um, and, you know, and then from there, we just, you know, continued our cycle on into Abu Dhabi, um, where we had our last cycling day through the city. Um, and I can't forget the most important thing that we had in Dubai was the Kite Beach ride with the Children of Determination and, you know, sat down, had burgers with them at Salt and then and then went into Abu Dhabi and um, did our last bit of cycling at Hujayarit Island uh, and, you know, went to visit the Abrahamic family houses, which is an extraordinary example of tolerance um, and I think incredibly emotional and humbling kind of visit. And then from there, our gala dinner on the rooftop of Wolfie's, which was, you know, just uh, amazing. Um, so it was, you know, it was a very packed schedule, as you can attest to, Jonathan. I mean, it was like a military schedule of like down to the wire because, you know, of all the police escorts that we had to have and just, you know, being there. And uh, so it was pretty exhausting. We had 12 events, you know, in addition to the cycling. Um, and I think our total number of cycling was about 437 kilometers is what we ended up clocking in. Um, so, you know, this was no small feat, I think, for anyone, but I think it was the real difference in this ride was the community engagement that we had and what we were able to give back, you know, passing knowledge forward for the riders that we had, the engagement with the kids, um, and the lasting impact that we're seeing in the community. So that was really what the event was about and what we wanted to achieve. And it was so much more successful and more extraordinary than we could have ever imagined. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, firstly, you know, as one of the, the, the three sort of hub people to make things happen, I was aware with your military background that you more than anybody were starting to get twitchy when people were being late. and But we had to go because the police escort was there and we were then going to have a knock on effect for the next place we were going to visit, whether it be children or a school, they're all waiting for us and we couldn't be late. Um, so as you say, it was packed in, but for those who are listening, um, they won't see, but, uh, those on, on YouTube, you'll see that I'm wearing one of the shirts that I think you designed, didn't you? Was it yeah, your side? Yeah, the Evoke team designed uh, and we've it. got, they've got the UAE crest here. We've got seven days, seven Emirates, and I'll sort of stand up here and we've got, we've got unity, diversity, inclusion, uh, sustainability and tolerance. And, and it was lovely that everybody was in the garb and, and you know, people would cheer us as we went by. And as you say, in Russell Cayman, having so many police cars escorting us and blocking off the roads and 
letting us through was was remarkable. Uh, it was a, it was a huge event. I, I think in my life, it, it's one of the sort of milestone events that I've done. And and Lee and I, I remember Lee on one of the days, I think, uh, you know, she she hadn't done any cycling beforehand. She'd done the fitness training. You know, she works out with um, Britain's fittest man uh, who you'd love meeting. He's such a humble man. Perhaps we might want to get him out uh, next time. He He's on the, the British program Gladiators. He's steel on Gladiators. And he's the one who's really humble and kind and very modest. But um, in 2020, yeah, he won the CrossFit. And... Um, so, so Zach had been training Lee, but we hadn't done any cycling. So when she did about 25 to 30 K, she went, this is the best day of my life. This is just great. Cause she then had that. And then she had to give the keynote at uh, the American embassy, as you mentioned with all the, the entrepreneurs and, and just loving that combination of, of physical uh, endurance team building. Cause I've never known a team come together so quickly and you need a common theme. You need, uh, and I actually got to hand it to you, Sarah and uh, and Daniel, and I'm sure others, but for finding the right people. Uh, and you brought in certain people to help us with making sure that the ride worked well, and it was safe and that kind of stuff. But but choosing the right team is everything. And if there's one sort of small grit in the oyster, it will affect it. So we now know who the right people are for next year. And actually, interesting enough, I'm just feeling my hand here that's when I came off the bike at the same time as as Adrian and and um, my fingers uh, the physio has been working on it because I the bones stuck out of it <laughs> but um yeah I, I think we now know the right combo of the team and but we don't want it much bigger I think it, it, you know when you've got about 20 riders yeah. um anything bigger than that it becomes a logistic nightmare because there's a there's a big tail you get public joining you on various bits but I think 20 is about the right number isn't it yeah, I think, you know, and we, we've said this is that, you know, it was an extraordinary group of people that just instantly kind of gelled with, with each other. And, you know, um, which was amazing because, you know, it was one of the things that, you know, Daniel and Sarah and I talked about, and I said, you know, it'll be interesting to see how everyone comes together because there are some vast backgrounds, you know, they come from wildly, you know, different stories and perspectives. And, you know, this is one of the things that why sports bonds people, because you're all going through the same pain and suffering and, you know, things, but everyone just came together, like, and almost immediately, you know, and we had some crazy wild personalities that were there, um, you know, some extraordinarily talented people, some incredible athletes with us, and everyone just works so well together and they worked so hard and everyone was so supportive and championing. And I think it was that commonality of humility that I think everyone in the team had. And, you know, it was really, it was everyone pulling for the greater good, the greater reason why we were there. And I think no one lost sight of that throughout the entire ride. And I think that was incredibly special. Um, and it was something that was just it just happened it was just that right chemistry it was like the stars aligned and it was it was extraordinary and that's why I said you know it's in one of the lives I think for that I did on on social media um when we were in Abu Dhabi and I was doing it for that morning it was our last day and Daniel came in and bombed the thing and then you came swanning in and, and bombed the live as well I think um, you know, we had a good laugh, but it was, you know, I remember I just started, you know, just crying because it was emotional to think that this was the last day and to think about, you know, everything that we had all been through together and just the amazing laughter and moments that we'd shared. It was just extraordinary. And, you know, Herb said it um, on our last night at the gala dinner. He said, you know, I've was with her Harlem Globetrotters for 18 years and I haven't been a part of a team since then. And he said, and this is the first time I've actually been a part of a team. And, you know, and it, it meant something to everyone. And, you know, we were in the hotel and we, I got into the elevator and Herb was in there, of course, as usual, talking to some random guy that was in the elevator about seven days. And he said, oh, this is Leah. She's my teammate. And I just thought, you know, what a lovely thing to say, you know, um, and a lovely way to refer. And it had become that. Um, and it was beyond our expectations in, in every single way. And just that amazing leadership. Yeah. Well, you, You've, you've you've captured in me that one of those great thoughts from Sun Tzu, the the, the great Chinese uh, leader uh, over two thousand years ago, uh, the the greatest leader. The people said we did it ourselves, 
And while you and Daniel and Sarah did all the organizing with other people helping you and a great support team there was, small, but determined to make it happen, whether it be Noor or anybody else, um, you didn't make it about yourselves. It wasn't about you at all. It was about the bigger cause, the the the, the ride for unity and to to make a statement at a time with so many wars from Ukraine to Gaza and everything else going on, that that we are we have more in common than we have in difference, and I think that was that was powerful. Let's move on to an, another uh, topic. You've been very kind talking, and and that was a, probably one of the best explanations I've had of of so many different things going on. Um, but let's let's switch to yourself. You know, I've I've met you, and what I've valued, I just want to acknowledge here on TV, what I valued about you was that you're, you're very modest. You are an extroverted introvert, so you don't want to talk unless you have to. And when you do speak, you think in order to speak, whereas extroverts like me speak in order to think. Um, and you're so good at building teams and promoting other people, lifting them, whether, I mean, it's, I know it's your job as the managing director of Evoke, to, to promote different companies and people, but you, you don't make it about you. You make it about everybody else. So the, the the leader that Lee and I met in the UAE, and now we consider you to be a good friend of ours, and we look forward to get to know you and your family even more. Um, where did it come from? What, what was the journey? How were you brought up? And, and what events in your life have shaped you? Perhaps take you know, five or so minutes to just tell us a bit about that. Well, I, my story is really bizarre. You know, it's really funny when people ask me, where are you from? It is the single hardest question for me to answer, right? Because um, I'm a, what we call a third culture kid. So my my mother is Vietnamese, my dad's American. Uh, you know, they met in the Vietnam War and they're still together some 50 some odd, almost 55 years uh, later. Um, you know, however long it's been, my mom's going to kill me that I don't actually know that number, but it's been a long time. And um, you know, and then we moved to Saudi Arabia. My dad was working for Ramco. So, you know, grew up in Saudi and then boarding school. And then after that military, uh, for 11 years. And so I've had a very nomadic existence. Um, and I think, you know, I think those experiences have, have like actually taught me a great deal of independence and different perspectives. And I've always lived in sort of multicultural, you know, sort of environments starting in my very own home, obviously, um, you know, and so I, I think that's probably had a massive, you know, sort of contribution into, um, you know, just how I approach life, which is, you know, I'm just, I, I like to take a lot of risks. Some people say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie anyway, but I've, you know, always just said, you know, let's just do it. And the worst thing that can happen is that, you know, we can fail. So, I spent 11 years in the military as a broadcast journalist, and then two of those years with um, psychological operations. Um, the other part of that was, you know, uh, on AFN. Um, and people ask me what that is. And I'm like, have you seen Good Morning Vietnam? That's kind of what I did. Uh, probably not as crazy and raunchy, but, you know, uh, along those lines, I did get in quite a bit of trouble during my broadcast career, as you can imagine, having met me um, and my my sense of humor. But um you know, those were very formative years. And then uh, I kind of did things a little bit backwards is that I got out of the military and then I went to Iraq um, after that as a, as a contractor working on a strategic communications campaign um, in Iraq. And then, you know, doing that for a while. Um, and basically in that process, we kind of reformulated what strategic communications was and what it meant. And, um, you know, during that period, we saw that we were kind of, you know, driving anti-coalition sentiment, which was the exact opposite of what we actually wanted to do and figured out, brought in, you know, anthropologists, social scientists, a whole school of people um, to really look at what needed to be done and figured out we need to make a three-way communication system, which is speaking to people, getting their feedback, listening very closely, and then broadcasting the outcomes of that dialogue. And that today is now known as engagement, which wasn't a thing back then. It was just talking at people. And so, um, you know, and then merging the kinetic with non-kinetic. And what I mean by that was matching the communications and the messaging with what was happening on the ground, um, you know, prepping the battle space and then moving people into various new phases and things through the communication, through the actions of what was happening on the ground. Um, and then after doing that, I just thought, you know, in my 
very naive way, uh, you know, I can do this bigger, better, faster and started my own company um, doing that, doing strategic communications. And, you know, that was a, a big life lesson for me because we then took a very different methodology and different approach to what, you know, most companies do. You either have like a PR company or a marketing agency or an ad agency or a creative agency or a research company. Um, and we had been doing everything in such a 360 degree approach that we now do that in the company. So we do all of those things all in one. And it means that we can look at everything holistically and that the message is unified and we're not competing against various different agencies. And we can keep the messaging and the narratives, um, you know, sort of um, in continuity, um, you know, and, and making sure that everything is working with, you know, other parts. And if it's not figuring out why that's happening. Um, and so that's really why we wanted to do that and, you know, and wanted to keep things reasonable, um, you know, because, you know, our industry agencies tend to be extortionate um, and we really wanted to be able to help everything from startups to the Fortune 500 companies. And so that was that was our aim and um, and basically what we've we've done so that, um, you know, is 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 us in a whole and that is kind of basically me in a nutshell and and my my own journey which has been pretty crazy you know it's especially when you when you focus on conflict post conflict in developing countries um which is our main sort of you know thread that we do and we do retail and pretty much every other industry as well but um you know it leads you to some pretty crazy places like Afghanistan and Somalia Nigeria Libya I mean you know um any innumerable you know kind of places um we joke all the time we're like why can't we have a war in like the Bahamas or someplace in, you know like that for a change <laughs> you know what I mean um but you know we 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 go where where things are you know need the most help well uh, what an incredible uh, story so far and I know there's a a whole lot more that you're capable of doing and, and you will be doing. But I, I think you're the first uh, people in this sector of strategic comms, as you say, that 360 mix, where Lee and I, as I discussed with you beforehand, would love your support for our small business. And, you know, we're only just the two of us in our, in our business. But but we trust you and the team you have around you and and would love to to work with you. So, I mean... That for me is uh, the greatest accolade I could give anybody. I would like to work with you. Um, so people out there listening, you know, get in touch. Um, I think uh, what a hell of a, a life. And and particularly I'm fascinated in the resonance of that mum and dad met in the Vietnam War. And here we are doing the right for unity with a collection of people from everywhere from the Lebanon uh, Israel, Egypt, uh, the Emirates, uh, America, Britain, uh, a whole range of different places all together. And through sport, finding common bond. Uh, you know, when we were sitting down and having dinner together, we, you wouldn't have known that we'd only met three days beforehand when we were at that place in the middle of nowhere um, with pretty basic facilities, you know, plastic sheeting over the mattress and, you know, uh, a sheet over the top. We didn't mind. And then bringing the next minute. days, Jonathan, bringing it down to the basic levels. Yeah, yeah. but it bonded us all. And there was such, and, you know, there was Justin who was uh, paraplegic through, a, through a, a problem in the hospital. And there was, you know, Carlo there who, you know, 24 different illnesses, an Italian colonel who got uh, depleted uranium poisoning from rounds in Bosnia that while he was rescuing people, everybody with different stories. And we were all just getting on as if we'd known each other for years. It, it was remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think, you know, that was the one thing of, you know, that we were living and breathing the message that we were trying to bring. And I think that makes such a difference and people see that externally. And that was, that is what really shone through when we were stopping anywhere. And, and even when the public riders joined us, they said, you know, this is the best ride I've been on, like the banter and the laughter and, you know, just that energy and the vibe from the group has just been fantastic, you know, of, you know, all the public riders that joined us, it was great. And it didn't, the one thing that I loved about it is that no one ever asked anyone where they were from and it didn't make a difference. It didn't matter. It didn't matter, you know, what nationality you were, you know, where you had come from. We were just there all in the spirit of, you know, ride for unity. And that I think was just the most beautiful thing to say, because it just didn't matter, you know, none of that, you know, this, 
that, you know, these geopolitical barriers, these, you know, different differences of opinion and views, we were just openly speaking about any number of subjects um, in getting so many different perspectives. And, and it was really extraordinary, you know, just within the team to see that, you know, and people had their families there with them and, you know, and that, you know, we're running around and, you know, chatting with all the riders and playing with all the riders and stuff. And it, it really did become that, you know, sort of family unit. And it didn't, it made no difference. You know, the backgrounds of where we came from only added to the ri- richness of that fabric of the, of the team. And it was, it was incredible. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was. Now you've achieved so much in your life already. There's a phenomenal drive to you. Um, and, um, I think it's, you know, just a, a a credit to you that not only did you push yourself so hard in organizing everything along with the likes of Sarah and Daniel and everybody else and all the support team, you had your day job, your business to keep running in the evening, but then not only did you just finish what you'd done with the, the 437 kilometers that you cycled, but then you went on and did the, um, the sprint triathlon in Ras El Cayman. And you came third. You were up on the podium. I mean, what the hell? What were you up to? I, I was thinking about the whole time I was doing the try, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'd, I'd signed up for it, you know, a million years ago. And and then when we decided the dates, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, the try is literally the day after we finish. You know, we finished on the 12th and the triathlon was on the 14th. And I thought... Yeah, I'll just taper the last couple of days of of the ride, um, you know, give myself enough rest. And then I've got a day of rest beforehand and I'll just do it. And then, you know, you know, stuff happens. And I did try and seem to remember. I seem to remember you into the early hours drinking heavily the night before you went on the try. Was that right? Three in the the morning you were there. Friday night. And so Saturday was a pretty painful recovery because, yes, it was. (laughs) <laughs> had to drive back from Abu Dhabi to Ras Al which is where I'm based, um, which is a two and a half hour drive. And I was like, uh, Laura and Phil, who are my incredible team, have been with me for 12 years. Um, you know, Phil, our digital director, and Laura's the the our team leader for social uh, social media and marketing. Um, I was like, guys, I was like, we have to get through this. I need to sleep. I need to rest. And we got home and we just didn't. We were like, you know, unpacking the car and, you know, and organizing all the rest of the crew shirts and T-shirts and, you know, everything else from that. Um, and then I said, you know, you guys don't have to to do the triathlon. You know, you can just sleep in. And they were like, no way. If you're getting up, we're getting up. And, um, you know, which I thought was a beautiful thing. And, you know, the guys from Absolute Adventure that were doing our safety cars, they came out to support the try as well. And we had some of our public riders and volunteer support group. They were all out in the ride for unity shirts, you know, out there supporting the triathlon. And I just thought this is just incredible. The spirit kind of lives on. Mm. And I was incredibly humbled and grateful for that and, you know, appreciative. And then, you know, I was like, you know, um, yes, we did drink Friday night, you know, after the gala dinner and and everything else like that. But, you know, I had the rest day, um, and couldn't, you know, really do that on Saturday night. So then we just had everybody over on the Sunday night and just started, you know, properly drinking on the Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> you really do do things to um, the full. Um, <laughs> as someone said to me, I'm going to, I want to die with a tank completely empty. And I think when you go, it, it, you will have emptied the tank. Um so- when I crossed that finish line, it was empty. It yeah, was yeah. You you were you'd given given your all and, and the rest. Um, you've achieved so many things in your life. Um, we've just discussed this. The right for unity is one great achievement, and and doing another triathlon, and you're going to do an Ironman later on, another triathlon, uh, in twenty four. Um, if there was a greatest achievement in your life, what, what would it be, and what did you learn from it? Well. The funny thing is, it's a story of um, adversity. Uh, It was a story, I think um, we were, I was in Afghanistan under contract and we were doing a hotel management contract um, for an Afghan client um, in Kabul. And it all went horribly, horribly wrong. Um, You know, they didn't, they were hoping that they were going to make more money than they were to pay us and this, that, and the other. And, you know, we'd worked with them to get the hotel open. 
because they had a massive apartment building and they were converting it to hotel residences. Because as you know, when you're in these hostile environments, you know, people like the UN and other NGOs, they live on compounds. And so they were rectifying this, this uh, apartment building to become one of those compounds so that you could have like these NGOs and contractors and things like that living there. And, you know, sort of we had been working with them for about five months um, to get it ready and, you know, going through all the certifications for, you know, the different security, the RSOs for the embassy and the different NGOs and to make sure it was safe and um, the management and the practices and all of that sort of thing. And then 28 days into our contract, when we'd actually opened the hotel, I mean, we'd had, you know, sort of... um, 15 to I think 20 people sign year-long contracts for us for the residencies 28 days in um they just sent us an email and said we're canceling your contract with immediate effect and you have 18 hours to leave the premises and we're done and I went I'm sorry what (laughs) so um then had my team find out what was actually going on and um they had had um, what we didn't know at the time is they had owed money all over the place to the tune of about $15 million. Um, we're hugely in debt and we're hoping that those initial deposits from the initial contracts would have covered some of that and our fees. Um, and then they got an offer from Etisalat to rent out the entire building and they were going to give them three years rent up front, which was something like, I think, like four and a half million dollars or something like that. And it was enough to, to stymie the flow. The irony of that is that I think their net would have been about 12 million had they just continued on with the um, the hotel at the at the end. Because I mean, we were talking like, it was like a thousand rooms. It was a, a huge, huge facility, huge building. Um, and so when I found this out, I then, um, you know, went in and talked to the CEO of Etisalat in Kabul, who I just happened to know, brought my, you know, sort of uh, civil engineer with me. And I said, look, I know that you guys are in talks with them, but you need to see this is a five-year MSA contract that were contracted. All those people that you saw there were guests and my staff. And by the way, did they tell you that you needed to do $1.2 million worth of upgrades in the hotel because there's not enough off the power grid and the generators and stuff like that, which is why only one wing of the hotel is open. Anyway, long story short, we got into a massive battle with them. Um, They, you know, we just said, you, you have to honor your five-year contract. And we were living there at the time as well. Um, and they absolutely refused. They then tried to get me arrested every single morning. Um, yeah, there was like Mexican standoffs at the gate. I was having to like sleep with a security guard outside of my room. Um, they were threatening our staff. And it just became, you know, just a huge battle. Um, you know, had to get various embassies involved, had to get, you know, police and courts and that kind of thing. Um, And then uh, there was a turning point where, you know, we basically came with a larger piece of leverage, uh, which I will leave at that. And they finally said, right, let's let's go to court and let's settle this in court, thinking that they could, you know, win in court. And long story short, after four years in a court battle, I was the first female, uh, American female to win a court case in Afghanistan against um, against the the this uh, the Kasamis, who were a largely powerful family. So we, we had gone through primary court, appellate court, and Supreme Court, and finally got the judgment in our favor um, to win. And off the basis of that, um, I then worked with OSAC um, out at the embassy and a variety of other things to help get laws changed in favor of entrepreneurs and foreign entrepreneurs um, operating in Afghanistan. So um, although it was born out of a horrific situation, um, you know, that was probably, I think, my greatest achievement because of how many other businesses and entrepreneurs and things that it helped in the long run and was, I think, for me, probably my biggest test of sort of grit and principle because it, you know, stopped being out the, about the money, I think, about four months in and it just became a principle because I was like, Okay, you think just because I'm a foreigner and I'm a woman or whatever, you can just walk all over me and do this to me. And I just thought, no, I'm sticking by my guns. We had 250 staff, um, you know, and it was, you know, looking out for them and their best interest in their families as well and and fighting it through. So, yeah, it was um, that was probably, I think, one of my greatest achievements is, you know, sticking it out and 
doing it for the right reasons because what was right and a lot more was uncovered about them in the end and uh, I'll just say that that you know karma has a funny way of um striking in the yeah, end so yeah so did you, you know, did you get enough money to pay your staff and and cover your costs uh we didn't um yeah. but we we did we did get um enough of you know it to to be painful for them um, you know, because again, you know, things are not always straightforward in Afghanistan and, you know, judges were bribed and things like that on the settlement portion of it. But, you know, the thing was, is that I had, you know, I had won the case. They did have to pay an amount. They did pay that. Um, and it didn't cover our costs, but for me, that was not really the point at that point. Um, and what's happened to the hotel now and with, with all the, uh, you know, back to the Taliban days. Well, when we won the case, they didn't want to pay. So then I then had the court enforce it and basically said, uh, if you don't pay, then the court is going to come in and shut down the hotel and auction off the property for what you owe me. Um, and um, then told every single one of the NGOs and USAID, the UN, like everybody that was in there that this was happening. And they all left within 72 hours. They lost all of their contracts and they were blacklisted. Uh, by every single one of them. So their business got shut down. Um, uh -huh. So then with the Taliban, they they just don't exist. It's just a big empty building now. Wow. Wow. Gosh, what a what a huge experience. And and that must drag so much on your energy and your life. And this requires huge determination, which is um, uh, something I, I do admire in you. you. You've got that grit and determination. If you've set your mind on it, you, you're, you're going to sum it. If you're going to go for it, you're going to get there. Um, let's, uh, wow, oh, I'm, I'm still going to think about that one for quite some time. But, but let's go back to the young, uh, the young lady that you were, let's say 16 to 18. Looking back at that age, what were you were doing then? If you went back now and visited yourself and you went, hey, kidder, th this matters and this doesn't matter. What, what advice would you give to a someone who's, who's age 16 to 18 from your experience now? I would say stop worrying so much about what people think because what you think people think is always much worse than the actual reality, to be honest with you. Um, you know, and going back to that story, you know, when I first started the court proceedings and everything else like that, you know, it it showed me really who my supporters and my friends were. And that was like, oh my God, it's a huge scandal. I don't want anything to do with her or that, you know, this kind of thing. And there were people that really stuck with me. And I, you know, for a while it was hard because I think I had a worse impression than what was actually out there, you know? And then when I won, everyone's like, you know, we were rooting for you. We knew you'd pull through. We knew, we knew you'd do it, you know, congrats. That's amazing. So I think sometimes our perception of what we think is the reality is far skewed from what it actually is. And so I think I would tell my 16 to 18 year old self, just, just do what you need to do for yourself. Uh, stop worrying what everybody else thinks um, because what everybody else thinks doesn't matter. And it's fleeting, you know, um, it matters what you think and what you've achieved and what you can do and that, you know, that you've accomplished that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think beautifully put. And and really, I, my next question was going to be really about sort of the moral compass and true north and what we call your values, your principles. And you've already given such a clear indication of of what you'll do when it's a matter of principles and that you'll fight for them. So I'll leave that one because I think you've covered that one so beautifully. My, my next one is about, you know, meaning and purpose. What gives your life meaning and purpose? Why do you do what you do? I mean, that's a good question. You know, um, I, I think I just have an enormous appetite for life and there's just so much that I want to achieve. And it's always, I think, trying to find my limits and pushing the boundaries of things. And I've, I've always, you know, it's funny that you call me an introvert extrovert because I am naturally shy. Like as a kid, I would refuse to go up to, you know, pay for things. And my mom's like, just go pay the lady. And I'm like, no, I'm shy. I don't want to do it. And then now you know, I make up for that with this incredible, like sort of extrovertedness as well, is that I just, I always want to see what's possible. And I always want to push the limits. And I think I just always want to live life to the fullest. And I think, you know, when you are in these places, when you, when you go to, you know, these conflict areas, it really changes your perspective on life. 
and you know the little things don't matter anymore because things are put into a very sort of life and death perspective um you know and i think that really changes how you deal with your everyday situations when how it deal you deal with uh, stressful situations how you deal with everyday obstacles um and i think it changes your perspective on life you know it just makes me appreciate every minute every hour that we have on this earth and knowing that you never know what's going to happen tomorrow and if we're even going to be here tomorrow so for me it has just always been about wanting to be different i've never been a conformist uh, as my parents will tell you um and have always just questioned things and always asked why um you know and so i think it's that is wanting to always be a disruptor but in a positive way um you know and seeing how can we do things better how can we change things for the better um what can we do that's more that's better that's different and you know leaving a legacy of of change behind and i think that's probably what drives me is just you know seeing what is possible and what i'm capable of no it's um very impressive what you have achieved thus far and i know you'll achieve a whole lot more you know there's you meet some people and you know that you, you you'll make a dent in the universe you already have even if you just change the few of the lives already which takes me on to the the next component of the what, what makes high performing leaders the uh the inspiring leadership compass and the health quotient not not in many leadership models uh, but but health wellness mental and physical you, for me, um, really know what it's all about. You've studied it, you practice it, um, you model it, you know, all the training you do, getting up at 4 a.m. to train for an Ironman, things like that. But from your experience, what advice would you give to the people listening in 125 countries around the world about the importance of of mental and physical health and, and what your tips would be? It's hugely important. You know, like there have been days where I would go, I'd finish work at like midnight and I'd be so stressed out that I would just go for a run. And I know that sounds insane, um, but, you know, it does help burn off the stress. It gives you an opportunity to unplug because you're not on your phone. Um, it gives you a chance to process, to really think about things. Um, and it, it does for me, you know, um, is it just gives me that time to just focus on myself or to think through a problem and it gives me that distance. Um, and it's, it's hugely important. There was a, there was a period where I was all work, you know, as an entrepreneur starting a business, you know, you work every hour that God gives you, there's no such thing as a weekend. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, trying to get clients, trying to get, build your business, trying to get things done. Um, you know, with the resources that you have and building that team and the stresses of figuring out what those work processes are and the flows and, you know, how you deliver and dealing with clients, you know, um, which no one ever talks about is a stress in and of itself. And, and there was a time period for, you know, several years where I wasn't doing any training in phys and it took a toll on me um, hugely, um, you know, so much so that um, I had to go in and get an emergency a surgery. Um Wow. you know, as a result. Um, and then that really made me kind of stop and really look at my health. Cause I had basically driven myself into a position where, um, you know, I'd sacrificed my health and I thought I can't do this anymore. Um, I need to have a balance. And I would say, you know, my training and my phys is extreme. Like I'm not recommending anyone do that um, unless you have the goals and you, you know, you don't want to go and, and, and do an, a, do an Ironman or do triathlons and things. And that was just something that I personally wanted to do because for me, it always helps to train with a goal in mind. I would get so bored just going out and jogging and just doing, you know, fitness stuff and going to the gym. And so having a goal, like having a race, or even if it's like a 5k fun run, you know what I mean? Is, was, was always hugely helpful because it was something that I could, you know, work towards. Yeah. And so that's really where the triathlons came in from and, you know, um, you know, kind of blended all the things that I love doing, you know, together in one thing. But I think my biggest thing is, you know, figure out what you love to do and do it. And it's hard and it does suck. Um, but make time for it, even if it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes, because we all sit there and go, you can find a million excuses of why you don't want to do it. 
but you will always feel so much better um, after you've done it. And, um, you know, it's just so good for you. And we have to make time for it. Like I have to make time for my stuff and I have to sometimes schedule things around it or, you know, move my training around based on what we're doing or anything else like that. But make the time for it is, is all I can tell you because the benefits you will get from it are extraordinary on every level. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And and I think you um, you do give yourself, you throw yourself wholeheartedly into your work, uh, your family, uh, your fitness uh, and the training. It's remarkable. And therefore, with that comes a, a huge amount of resilience. But there's a payoff sometimes. We, we're sometimes so resilient that, as you described there with needing the surgery, it affects your health. So time and again, we need to just check in with ourselves. Look in the mirror. Are we just overdoing things a bit? Have we have we got completely out of balance that we can't even see it? And we need somebody else. And this is why it's quite good. I've got a, uh, a personal trainer who's a bodybuilder and his wife, um, also the same, trains Lee, um, through an app. And it's all about the, the food that we eat. It's now it's lovely being back here because one of the things I was thinking about is the food that we had. I don't normally have bread. I had bread coming out of my head. I don't want to see another slice of bread in my life. But... Um, <laughs> much as it was very good sourdough bread. Um, but but that was for me a thing, just a little tweak is that to have really good high quality food when you're doing such activity and I've come back and I'm, I've got the protein in now and I'm eating my chicken and rice and and I'm having my eggs, lots of eggs, that's great. And egg whites, things like that. So I'm really happy again. Not that I wasn't happy I was there, but it's just, I, I did find that quite a stress on me when I wasn't looking after my, my diet as well, but I was doing the physical. Um, let's go on to the, uh, the, the the final couple of questions, highlights from the ride of unity and um, the future of the uh, seven days, seven emirates, what you think next year we should do. And then we'll go into the two minute top tip. So the highlights, God, there's so many, you know, there, there are just so many, I think, you know, the schools for me was uh, one of the greatest highlights was really engaging with the kids and, you know, seeing, you know, the sort of impact that we had on them and so many kids saying, I want to buy a bike now and I want to do this, or I want to play basketball, or I want, you know, that inspiring those future generations, um, you know, that was a huge highlight. And I think over that was the extraordinary people like yourself and Lee and the riders that, you know, we met and got to know and went through good and bad times, you know, together, um, you know, on the ride. And it, that, I think it was just the people, um, you know, and I honestly, I can't take any credit for selecting, you know, the people on, on that, that was, you know, all Daniel, um, doing that. And he, he really put together an immense and amazing team. And Sarah is just a, a, you know, she's, she's an immense force to be reckoned with. She just worked all of the hours and just, you know, just put through an extraordinary effort to make this happen. Um, you know, and, you know, and my team was, you know, they, they were just in it from the beginning, you know, from the heart and soul of everything from, you know, the website to, you know, the design of everything and, and, you know, and doing the social media, but, you know, they were living and breathing it. And, you know, and all of our support functions for the ride for unity from absolute adventure to our vendors, to Baker's kitchen, to BMW, to, you know, everyone just all became this, you know, sort of one team mentality. And I think that was kind of the highlight for me was just watching everyone come together. And by the end of it, we just had that rhythm and the pattern and everyone knew what was going on and, you know, had really worked out, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses of everyone and how we work together as a team and, and the extraordinary camaraderie, the banter, you know, it was, you know, it was an enormous amount of fun. I don't think I've laughed so hard in my life than I did that that week you know yeah, yeah yeah we did we did have a lot of laughs and even when um when there were moments of stress of course the the uh, the refrain became what would faisal do because yeah. faisal was the coolest dude and he is you know yeah. there is a man who um so much uh, prestige so much fame but yet he's utterly modest and wants to be in the background but yet yeah. he was our front man for all the interviews with the emirate news things and, and did yeah, such a great job 
I feel so bad because I started off saying, Faisal, I just need you to do two of the Arabic speaking interviews. And then I think he did 17. <laughs> it did. It like, did. I mean, no more interviews, no more interviews. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, Faisal. Um, yeah, he was extraordinary, you know, and, uh, you know, I, it was just, you know, really, uh, you know, everyone just pulled together and, you know, and just, you know, just did, you know, their bit, their part. You had Jimmy out there getting Justin's, you know, hand cycle over the speed bumps and, you know, just throwing his bike down and just lifting and the safety car team's doing it and everybody pitching in and, you know, and, you know, most of it was just me screaming at everyone. <laughs> to move. And all everyone I could hear was like, right, ours, I need you here. And just me screaming. <laughs> and everyone trying to get everyone to move. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember the, those moments with with you were you were the um the, the, the definitely the, the sergeant major trying to sort us all out and no one crossed you. There was no messing. And uh, you did keep us to time. If we hadn't got you there, we would have been badly out of time. Hey, look, uh, talking about time, this is a lovely way to wrap up with your two-minute top tip. Um, so would you introduce yourself, say who you are, um, what, uh, as Managing Director of Vogue, what you do, and a little bit about the sort of ride for unity, um, and then share your two-minute top leadership tip that's a practical one that you found served you well. Right. So my name is Leah Tedro. I'm the owner and um, managing director for Evoke International. And I'm also one of the writers and founders of uh, Ride for Unity um, in conjunction with my amazing cohorts, Daniel Bernard and uh, Sarah Amory. Um, yeah, I think Ride for Unity was a life-changing experience and more so than we could have ever uh, thought that it was bringing people together under the banner of unity, inclusion, uh, diversity, tolerance, and sustainability. And we lived that um, through sports diplomacy and through the cycling that we actually did through all seven of the Emirates, um, the engagement that we did with the communities and, you know, highlighting, you know, every, all the efforts of conservation um, and tolerance that happens on a daily basis here in, in the UAE and each of the Emirates. Um, you know, it was an extraordinary journey. And I think, you know, through that, and I think through my experience of being, um, you know, um, a, a U.S. military veteran and having my own business for so many years, I would say probably one of my top tips for leadership is is it's kind of combined, um, which is, you know, build a team around you that you trust. Um, and that and, and when you have a team that you trust, you should never be the smartest person in the room. You know, um, let everybody come through and bring their strengths to the table. Don't get threatened by it. You know, you want people that are smarter than you around you. You want a team that you can trust, um, that you can build rapport with and then delegate, um, you know, definitely delegate. Don't try and do everything yourself. You have a team around you for a reason. You have people that are smarter than you in those perspective fields for a reason, um, you know, so let them do their job and, you know, let them get on with it um, and, you know, and let them question you and challenge you um, and, you know, and be ready for that. And, you know, and you should have people around you questioning and challenging. You don't want a room full of people around you that are going to say yes and have diversity in there so that you have different perspectives so you can build the best team and business um, that you can and provide the, the most diverse perspectives for your clients as well. And then lastly, I would say, do everything that you do with humility, because there is always going to be somebody out there that is bigger, better, faster, but just do what you do to the best of your ability and do it with humility and one foot on the ground at all times. And I would say that is probably the top tips I could give. Well, Leah, thank you very much. You know, you you do live that. And even when you let things slip a little bit, uh, you always grab yourself back again and bring yourself back on track. And thank you for inspiring Lee and myself and all the people around those seven Emirates. Uh, I look forward to next year. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope we've ignited your curiosity and broadened your perspectives. My guests and I provide this service to you for free. All we ask in return is that you share it now with one other leader you know, so they also benefit too. 
please subscribe, rate, and review us on your podcast platform. We value your feedback and invite you to connect with us through my website, jonathanperks.com, where you can sign up for your weekly podcast newsletter. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman Perks, and thank you for joining us on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. You can hear another unique guest next Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.